I told you. I didn't hear what you said. I said, watch your ears, bro. You I know couldn't, what that means. I couldn't yeah. hear you over the sound of me. Oh, okay. Yeah. I get what you're saying. That was my problem. I get what you're fucking saying. Yeah. What did you end up doing? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just started doing some shit, and it all worked out. Yeah, we better fucking hit the record button before it all crashes. I got the record button going. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I went to the grocery store after work today. Okay. Because uh, I came out for lunch, and I realized I have nothing to make lunch. So I'm like, all right, man. What am I going to do? I'll just heat something up from the freezer. The problem is I don't really have a whole lot of shit. So what do I do? Took out mozzarella sticks. And I just ate fucking, ate fucking mozzarella sticks (laughs) and felt like a piece of shit all day. (laughs) I mean, if you fried them and dipped them in marinara, it would have been more acceptable. No, this is all redneck white trash. Pop them in the microwave, which on the box it says... Microwave not recommended. I'm like, well, we're not recommended. It doesn't mean you can't do it. And they did. Tastes a little funky. And my stomach was all a little on edge all day. <laughs> but hey, I went with it. And I followed off with a little bit of Cheez-Its. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean. It's a good diet. Once you had your protein and your fats and your carbs. Yeah. You got to wash it down with some Cheez-Its. This is science, everybody. You know, if you're looking for that fucking max lift bod. You got to wash it down with some Cheez-Its. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> and so then after work, I went directly to the grocery store. Got some salad. Oh, yeah. Got some chicken. Right. Got some Caribbean jerk marinade because I don't know how to make the sauce and shit myself. I'm not that fancy. You know, and so that'll be some other time. Maybe yeah. tonight. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe you... Uh Get some more mozzarella sticks. I didn't get any. I laid off. <laughs> I only got those for the kid, you know. Oh yeah, but you, but I ended but you up ate them all. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah I do that it's all the like time. Else, oh, you got an oatmeal cream pie in here? Uh, oatmeal cream pie in my mouth. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah, so you just go buy your wife some Oreos, and no, oh, is it for you, honey? A third of them are gone, <laughs> dude. That happens all the time. Like, I'll buy him snacks and shit, but he won't, like, eat like me. So I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah, there are some Oreos up here. Yeah. Cookies. Yeah, I'm a grown-ass man eating dino gummies. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I've done it. (laughs) I'll do it again. (laughs) Fucking A. Well, they say, you know, it's important to get different colors into your diets. (laughs) Yeah, is that what they say? It's antioxidants and stuff like that. Oh, so, you got the red stegosaurus, the blue T-Rex, you know, the purple triceratops. You're good. You got all three of food groups. I heard something on the radio that uh, humans are closer to being alive to a T-Rex than, was it a stegosaurus? Really? Or a, one of them. I don't know. But it was really crazy to me. We just <laughs> to think that we were closer, like dinosaurs. There was a there was a dinosaur that lived farther apart from the T Rex than we did. Oh shit! I always thought they all like looked at the same time period. Yeah, I thought so too. I don't know. Like, I guess there was millions of years. 
Land Before Time, Jurassic Park, that porno I rented. <laughs> they all they all suggest <laughs> that the dinos were all together. Except the porno it had a weird spin on that idea. <laughs> East London, February 18, 2006, a young 22-year-old Henry Cousy was having a night out on the town with his friend, Timothy York. A night of drinking and fun. They had their party hearts set on Pier 1, a nightclub situated in Kings Lynn Road, Hackney. However, their plans of drinking, dancing, and fun at the nightclub would be interrupted. Pulling up to the nightclub, Timothy was attacked by Abu Oloto and dragged him from their car. Henry, acting fast, ran to his friend, but he would never get the chance to help him. Because Jelly Onjabawali, coming from the shadows, karate chopped Henry on the back of the neck. It was a destructive karate chop. Henry fell, hit his head on the ground. Laying on the ground in a critical state, Abu reached over and snatched Henry's Louis Vuitton designer bag. Jelly and Abu were here to rob these two young men and didn't care who got hurt in the process. Henry Cousy died the next day from head injuries. Abu Otto, that motherfucker was convicted of murder. And Jelly Ojubawali, Ojunbowali, was convicted of murder. As always, I'm staring at the beautiful Zach. I'll make you Jelly Aboot a lot, oh. O'Keefe. And I'm Ryan LaFever. And this is Requiem for a Murder. That's the end of the podcast. That's it. That was they they murdered the That's guy. Like, hey man, we waited waited a month long for this. Yeah, I mean loosely, I make it, it was loosely recreated in Cobra Kai season three <laughs> with the karate chop. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the names in this though. Abu Oloto. Abu Oloto. Jelly Ujubawali. It's really hard to say for my fucking tongue. My mm. tongue can give you some wild things, but that's a little difficult. Uh, that's a little uh, ethnocentric, I think. A little, a little racist. Oh, it, what yeah. I'm doing? Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> what, you can pronounce Tom just fine. That's because it's Tom. It's not Abu Jablafi. I don't know. There's a lot of <laughs> letters fucking mixed together there. I don't have the phonetics on this. I'm just saying the letters as they come. You know, we don't usually start where the victim's already dead. Yep. And the people are already convicted of murder. Right, yeah. Where yeah, are you yeah, going yeah. with this? Well, that's just a little That's just a little foreplay, baby. Oh. So today we're heading back to the beautiful state of Ohio. Is Ohio beautiful? Never been. Maybe someday. But we're heading to Cuyahoga. Koyahoga. Clearly, we've done this before. Check out the Robert Badello episode. Ohio, the famed birthplace of the founder of Bob's Bazaar Bazaar. That's right, Robert Badello, the Kansas City butcher. But we're not talking about that fucking fun bag. We're not. <laughs> we're not talking about old Bobby, boy. So get your murder boarding passes and meet us in Cuyahoga.
It was a beautiful summer night between August 9, 1936 and August 16, 1936. I'm going to go ahead and say it's August 9th, Zach, because that's my fucking birthday. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was a hot summer night, Saturday night, date night. Hmm. A young William J. Fitzsimmons, a successful paper executive. Which I don't know exactly what a paper executive does. Do they make paper? Is it for news? I don't know. Who cares? Took his beautiful wife, Pearl, for a night on the town. Probably. Dinner, drinks, jazz, and some hot, sexually distanced dancing. A little swing dancing, probably. Yeah, Yeah, savior from Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. It was a romantic night, probably. Getting home shortly after midnight on August 9th, Old Will put on some sexy Benny Goodman, these foolish things, to continue the mood. After some brief dancing and steamy foreplay, these two got to fucking. And nine months later, on May 7th, 1937, little George Kieran Joseph Fitzsimmons entered this world. Goddamn for Fitzsimmons, man. <laughs> it's always got to be a fucking Irish guy. Oh, Fitzsimmons, I think, is Jewish. Ah, oh, maybe. I don't know. I'm, I'm reading another story at the same time. So it could, I don't know. Maybe it is. I know Fitzsimmons is, it's like an Irish name. That sounds like, pretty Irish. Oh, no, no. I think the next guy is Jewish. Forget what I just said. George was a Jew- doll. <laughs> Jewish killers are fine. All right, we don't get, we're not going to, we're not going to touch that one. <laughs> George was a tall, handsome guy. And he was. Well, well, we'll post some pics on our IG, Facebook and shit. If you want to see old George, he was a handsome dude at first. It was a hard, it was it was hard digging up anything on his childhood to really tell a story there. I did read somewhere that his aunt said his parents treated him poorly. That's about it. And then there's high school. Uh, so George was born in Ohio, but moved at some point. I'm guessing in a very early age because he lived most of his life in New York. George attended Canisius High School. Home of the Crusaders. And Can- <laughs> hold that pose. Canisius High School is a Catholic private college preparatory school for young men resting in Buffalo, New York. So there's a good chance, probably 82% chance, that Father Joseph molested him at some point. In nominated Philly, Jesus inside me. That's how it goes, right? Something like that. Oh, 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 oh. Et nomine fili me, and Jesus is inside me. My, my child, have you let the Holy Spirit inside you? Have you let Father yes. Patrick inside you? Oh yes, yes, Father Patrick. Uh. Put Jesus inside me, aka your dick. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Because the Catholic <laughs> Church it just does that a lot. It does. I and mean, then they just retire them. Yeah. They resign them. Not, or just move them to a different church with, with arguably, in their defense, less whiny kids. Yeah. And new, new kids are molest. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Maybe is- just suck it up, Timmy. Oh, yeah. They suck it up. <laughs> that's, how, that's how communion goes behind closed doors. Yeah, yeah. The blood of the Christ is his semen. <laughs> the body of Christ is my milk. <laughs> God damn it. 
<laughs> okay. So his academics consisted of sodality, KBS, deuces, students council, deuces, dramatics, intramurals, class officer, and crew. I don't know what a lot of that shit is, except for the obvious, but who gives a fuck? George went on to college, but after two years, he dropped out and joined the army. Got another God one. Damn it. <laughs> we are the worst. It's like the army breeds fucking shitbags. It's, it's almost like we offer free college and a chance to kill. Yeah. And it attracts like psychopaths. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. It's weird. I don't know. Maybe that's why we went there. While in Korea, <laughs> he learned karate, becoming a master of martial arts. He really got into physical stuff, such as weightlifting. But while in Korea, he developed a dependency on amphetamines, oh. which some speculate that it caused permanent brain damage. No way. No fucking way, dude. George is just in his fucking room, just popping pills, smoking crack. What year are we in right now? 1956-ish. Ish. So 1950s. So is he Probably. in Korea, Korea, or is it just deployed and stationed there? I don't know, man. I tried to find his uh, military records and everything, but it, there's not a whole lot on him. Hmm. He's not a very well-known guy, this George. Well, he really pioneered amphetamines in the military. Well, yeah, you, you always hear the stories where they put it in shit and they were giving it to pilots and stuff. Right. And I'm like, I joined a little bit too late. <laughs> Fucking give me amphetamines. I'll fucking, I'll go all night, man. I know it. I'm focused. All they gave us but was too much, and then I start going downhill yeah. in a spiral. I mean, you just got to keep it level. All we got when we were in was bad malaria pills that made us homicidal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was fun. <laughs> so in 1961, George was dishonorably discharged from the army, and I don't know why. Possibly from the amphetamine addiction. Yeah. Maybe because he was drooling on himself from brain damage. Or maybe it was from erratic behavior. I don't know. But it wasn't because of his fitness or lack of lethality, as one of his PT instructors described George Fitzsimmons, the six foot, one inch, 170 pounds of a man as, quote, a walking weapon. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's that. a compliment from your PT that, instructor. I was going to say, that is a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> I would put that on my resume. Right. Walking I am weapon. a walking weapon. Are <laughs> you Applying to be a elderly caretaker, yeah. I said what I said. Miss yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stevens ain't going to give you no trouble anymore if you got George on board. Uh, I, I said I don't like Tappy. I said, <laughs> I don't want to do crafts. <laughs> <laughs> fucking jabs a needle in her, man. He's fucking her up. Every thing you know, he's sewing her fucking hands together. Every employee performance review is just like so uh you put another client in the hospital i uh i've been trying to explain to mrs stevens that i'm a walking weapon <laughs> and she just doesn't seem to respect that <laughs> that bitch <laughs> if i say it's bingo time it's fucking bingo time <laughs> so after being discharged george went back to Eggertsville a suburb in Buffalo, and moved in with his parents. Good, good. Yeah. Yeah. Life in the Fitzsimmons house was tense. George's parents weren't about his carefree living or his bouts of crying and hallucinations. Yeah, that <laughs> shit didn't help either. <laughs> so this dude's crying around, just fucking seeing all types of shit. Sounds fun. I'm just um, a free spirit, man. Where'd that ghost come from? 
<laughs> it's noted that George would often, like I said, have events of crying, hallucinations, hallucinations, and exhibited violent tendencies, maybe from a continued high dose of amphetamines and no sleep, maybe brain damage. It's speculative. We don't know. But come on, 2-2. Two, two. 2 plus 2 is 22. On January 12th, 1969, it was a cold morning in Buffalo, New York. About 22 degrees cold, with a 15-mile-per-hour wind making it feel probably like it was 18 degrees. That's right. I got deeper to that, didn't I? Damn. Yeah, information. It was then, in his parents' home in Eggertsville, Buffalo County, when George and his father got into an argument. George. George. We're leaving for church in a few. Okay, have fun. George, we're leaving for church as in your mom, me, and you. I don't want to go to church. Too bad, George. You're coming. I'm an adult. I'm a walking weapon. Oh, for good sense, George. You're a 31-year-old man that cries all the time, and you live in the basement. I hate you. I'm going to go do karate in the garage. Does Father Pat still work there? You're coming with us. And that is final. This spiraled George to a fit of rage. Again, my guess as to why he didn't want to go to church is because from all the times, Father Joseph enlisted him. Oh, in for sure. special tutor sessions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. So George, he's seeing red and goes dark. He becomes a walking weapon. Just then, George assumes a karate stance and karate chops his 64-year-old father in the head. Not once, but twice. William was dealt a massive blow. His skull was crushed, and his brain was hemorrhaging. Damn, he is a walking weapon. Yes, yeah. I'm sorry I made fun of you, George. Then George moved onto his mother, and karate chopped her to death. He went all... Yeah, he fucking... It's not... Listen... I'm not laughing at the murder. I'm laughing at the fact this grown man is karate chopping people. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, okay. I don't care. I don't care how good you are at karate or how lethal you obviously are. You still look ridiculous, especially as a a white man. What? And I'm only imagining doing the. Sounds. <laughs> do you think? Do you think the whole time he was karate chopping people? He's like, "Hiya, walking weapon, hold out." <laughs> or, or his army shit kicked in. He's like, "One, two, three, hey, hey, just karate chopping going." Let's get down to business. <laughs> so George, in a state of delirium, packed up, got in his father's car, and went to church. Nah, nah, he didn't go to <laughs> church. 
<laughs> but he did flee this fly the scene, making a break for to Alamont, Illinois. At this point, his parents' bodies had been sitting in their home, rotting for about a week. The neighbors, growing with concern from not having seen them for a couple days, decided to go check on them. And that's when the dead bodies of William and Pearl were discovered. And George had arranged them <laughs> in the 69 position. Just no, no, he didn't do any of that. Right. You know, I, I was, resist. I was I was half expecting the neighbors to walk up and find the bodies, and then George jumps out of the bushes. <laughs> <laughs> nah, no, nah, he's in Illinois, man. So that's what he wants you to think. But it's a karate master. He could be anywhere. So the police put uh they immediately put a bullet out. Bolo out for the son, George. Newspapers were filled with headlines such as Police seeking karate expert. Breaking news. The articles described him as a formal mental patient, karate expert, and weightlifter. The police at this point believed George had killed his parents with a souvenir tomahawk. They had no idea yet that George was a walking his, fucking yeah, weapon. Yeah. Yeah, his karate chops were the fucking murder weapon. Seriously? No goddamn tomahawk. They they actually thought it was a tomahawk though? Yeah, initially. I mean, this is no. like right away. I know you That's how fucking I know, I know you just murdered two people, but to be misconstrued the tomahawk? That's high well, praise. Well, it's a souvenir tomahawk. It wasn't actual actual tomahawk, you know. So it didn't like Still. That's high praise. No, yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope they put that on his He's, fucking he was reading that newspaper the whole time going, oh, He's fucking- yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. These, these hands get not only karate chop fucking <laughs> someone to death, they karate chop my dick to come. <laughs> so George, back in Illinois, unaware whether or not his parents' bodies had been found yet, got on the gram, the telegram, and sent a message to his bank asking for money to be sent to him. The bank officials, however, notified the police immediately. The police surprisingly worked well together across state lines. Sheriff A.B. Ditter of Effingham County, Illinois, was contacted. The sheriff acted swiftly. After nine days on the run, the police honed in on delirious George, interrupting his plans to travel to Chicago and Arizona. They arrested him, put him in a cell where George would await his extradition. On July 24, George found himself in Erie County Jail, charged with two counts of murder. George entered a mandatory plea of innocence. However, the defense had two confessions from George. Case fucking closed. Finally. Man. Finally. All right. It's been good. It's been fun. We're still going to go over the the trial. Oh. Case closed, but let's let's see what happens. So George explained the murder to to psychiatrist calmly. Too calm. He had no regret, no remorse, saying they were older people. They were probably asking for it. (laughs) It was clear that George wasn't all right mentally. He was diagnosed legally insane as a paranoid schizophrenic. Or would it be more like having paranoid? Is that the clinical way to do it? You're not saying you are paranoid. Well, listen. Listen. First of all, don't call me out like that. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man. (laughs) No, I mean, paranoid schizophrenic is still a a diagnosis. Okay, okay. You try not to... Call somebody a paranoid schizophrenic. Right. It sounds a little insulting. <laughs> Especially to a paranoid skin schizophrenic. They might karate chop you. Oh, fuck. 
Because of George's state of mind, Judge Charles J. Gahan, Gahan found him innocent by reason of insanity and ordered him to be committed to the custody of the Commissioner of Mental Hygiene at the Buffalo State Hospital for treatment. A little over a year, in October 1970, George's name was appearing in the courts again. This time, it was the matter of his parents' estate and whether he would inherit the value of the estate, which is about $120,000. Oh, mm-hmm. that's a lot of money back then. It's yep. a lot of money now, right. but even more back then. So in comes New York's Slayer Rule or Slayer Law. The Slayer Law provides that no one should benefit financially from one's own crime, such as murder. So a killer cannot inherit assets or property from a person whom they murdered. Makes sense. That's fair, yeah. <laughs> yeah so despite George's aunt and uncle, who were cool with him inheriting the estate, even though if he didn't, it would be theirs, it would appear under the Slayer Law. He legally could not inherit their assets, right? Wrong, motherfuckers. See, during his trial, there was medical history dating back to 1961, where he had been committed previously, and at the trial, two psychiatrists diagnosed him legally insane. A paranoid personality suffering from mental disease, and his condition was schizophrenic reaction. Paranoid type. As well as Justice Gong declaring him innocent by reason of insanity. The, The evidence gathered... Again, declared he was legally insane at the time of the murders, which means he's free of liability of those murders oh. and is entitled to his share of the states of the deceased mother and father whom he killed. So George literally got paid 120 grand for fucking killing his parents. <laughs> this motherfucker. He was That's in, how good his karate shop was. He was probably in the jail the whole time going, Hey! I did it! <laughs> the judge, okay, the judge said, that, you know, that ruled on this case was like, okay, he was declared legally insane at the time of the murders, but you know, I really don't give a fuck about that. Like, I think this motherfucker deserves one hundred twenty grand for how good those fucking crime shops are. I mean, how, can, how hard is it to fucking uh, Barbara? <laughs> did did the police think it was a tomahawk? Yes, yes, your majesty, uh, magistrate. They believed initially that it was a souvenir tomahawk. Can we give him more money? <laughs> I already gave him a blowjob. That's the right thing to do, Barbara. So for the next three years, while George is spending his time in a mental fi- in a mental facility, thick fucking bank account, the hospital staff is scared as fuck. I bet. <laughs> the staff was worried <clears throat> and they wanted him gone. It was quoted that many times, George, many times how he might blow his top, give a chop. But at the same time, because of their own fear, they gave good write ups on his chop. There were those that believed that staff were so scared of him and getting karate chopped, they would write him off as being rehabilitated. I don't know if that's true. But what I do know is, a little more than three years in a mental hospital, George was deemed sane and no longer a danger to himself or others by four psychiatrists, and a court ordered him for his release. George is a free man. Delirious George is a free man. <sighs> the current... 
In nomine Patria Filius, Jesus inside me. The current uh, mental health system, not a lot better, everybody. Oh, shit. <laughs> well, fuck. So George is a free man. A single free man. Oh, no. Casanova George sparked a love connection with a fellow patient at the Buffalo State Hospital. Every time. You'd be shocked. They <laughs> always love. find. They always found love. There's love. Yeah. If you're. Yeah. Every time. If you're sitting at home, especially during this COVID time, karate chopping your dick or your vagina. And you're just like, I just want to find your love. Go to Behavioral Health Center. There, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just You'll find it. You don't necessarily have to kill somebody. Just just go there. You'll just find tell somebody. them you're a little off your rocker. You'll find somebody. No, they somebody always do. Everybody. You don't know how many of my clients are banging each other. <laughs> <laughs> so the fellow patient at Buffalo State Hospital, this young girl, woman, hot Beverly Kaplan, who was released shortly before, was waiting for him. It didn't take long for these two sex mingos, you know, flamingos that are fucking, <laughs> to get married. But there was apparently three conditions George had. Beverly had to support him, obey his orders, and get her fucking tubes tied. Seems reasonable, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Beverly, where did you find this man? An insane asylum. <laughs> he just wants me to get my tubes tied and obey his orders. And support him. <laughs> which I'm super supportive because he told me I had to be. Yeah. And I obey orders. <laughs> <laughs> I always tell him when he's doing his karate, good stance, George. That's a good fucking stance, George. I like your use of hey yeah. <laughs> it's good. So being insane... Incompetent, whatever. His finances were controlled by the Bank of Buffalo. And with $2,000 and a $500 a month stipend for murdering his parents, two sex mingos got married and moved to Cattersport, Pennsylvania. Cootersport, Pennsylvania. Cootersport, I like that better. Cootersport, Pennsylvania. To start their new wonderful life together. Two still needed a place to live. Their temporary residence would be a familiar place where George spent most of his summer. And on March 23rd, it would be in Roulette, Pennsylvania, at the Nichols house, his loving uncle D. Alton and Aunt Euphrasia's home. Fressa still loved George despite the murders. One doctor, quoting her, said, Mrs. Nichols said, If I only knew how unhappy George's childhood had been, I would have understood that he had a reason to kill his mother and father. Unquote. I guess I could have done that in a girl's voice, but technically that was the doctor. Well, and it, we're in the 70s, and women weren't doctors then. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Boy, times were better. <laughs> <laughs> this aunt and uncle were so forgiving and loved him so much that while George was in the hospital, they put him in their wills, naming, naming him the sole heir of their estate. Oh, they're about to get karate chopped. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't long after the two moved in that things got awkward and violent. In July 1973, George added a wife beating to his rap sheet. He beat Beverly so bad that she needed to be hospitalized. Did he tell him, like, uh, it was only with an open palm. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it, George. On July 25th, George was arrested for assaulting his wife. Beverly testified initially but then hightailed it back to Buffalo, never to return again. 
Because of this, the charge of aggravated assault and battery couldn't be upheld. And on August 19th, George was charged, but with a lesser serious offense of simple assault. On a $3,000 bond paid by his aunt and uncle, George was released. These dudes, what's wrong with them? Why are they, why are they supporting this guy? Just give him a chance, baby. Look, he kills his mom and dad. We all make mistakes. Okay, we gave him a chance. Break him into our home. Yeah, yeah. He beats his wife. Mm-hmm. Listen, I'd be mad too if I came home to cold dinner. Okay, we all make mistakes. <laughs> Bring him back. This bitch tied her tubes. That's why she got beat. <laughs> I'm just saying, third time to chop. <laughs> so Herbert Siegel, George's lawyer from the murder trial, attempted to get George to voluntarily go back to the mental facility. So he's doing the great thing. Good lawyer right there, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know he got him out of murder technically, but but George is having none of that. Beverly filed for divorce. She also filed for a civil suit of $200,000 against George for injuries and damages from the beating. However, just a few days before the end of the year, Beverly died from natural causes unrelated to George. <laughs> Bye. What? Bye, Beverly. What Bitch. was the... <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Detective walks in there. He has her head cracked open. <laughs> this is clearly natural causes. Uh, sir, it looks kind of oh, like... It's, uh, it's raining souvenir tomahawks again. Yeah. Sir, kind of... <laughs> Kind of looks like uh, someone hit her with a tomahawk. Well, that's natural. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's probably how it went down. Um, (laughs) It was Sunday, November 18th, 1973. Another cold day. A light coat of snow lay on the ground. George was lifting weights, working on his fitness before going to the living room to watch a little football with his Uncle Nick. George was having trouble concentrating on the TV. Things were blurred. He felt weird, restless, not right. He came to the conclusion that his 80-year-old Aunt Fressa and Uncle Nick were poisoning him with arsenic. George said, quote, It was kill or be killed. I know damn well they did poison me. Because I looked in the mirror, and I was all drawn out. And my head thumped. I could feel it going through my system. Angered, George confronted his aunt and uncle, saying something like, Are you poisoning me? You're poisoning me. I know it. I'm a walking weapon. The three argued, the aunt and uncle probably denying this insane possibility. George fed up, grabbed a large hunting knife, and while Nick was sitting in his recliner chair trying to watch football, George stabbed him in the heart, in the head, about 19 times total. Then, he went into the kitchen for Fressa, backing her into the corner, then stabbing her about 23 times. Aunt Fressa and Uncle Nick, they were dead. Do you think, um, before he killed her, she was like, okay, look, I get it. You thought it was arsenic. The football game's not going great. You kill him. We all make mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Still giving him second chances. It's a good aunt, man. Or a bad aunt. I guess it depends how you look at it. George then packed a suitcase and a lunch, took his uncle's car and drove to Buffalo. He called his lawyer, Siegel, and told him he might be in a bit of trouble. That's something terrible that happened. 
Yeah, you think? <laughs> I did it again. <laughs> <laughs> Siegel told him, wait there. While he got the police to come pick him up from outside the restaurant he was at and take him to Buffalo State Hospital for admission. During the admission process, the news of the murders were received and George was taken to police custody as the primary suspect for the murder of Nick and Fressa Nichols. George's car was searched where they found a suitcase with clothes and a bloody hunting knife with the tip broke off. After the bodies were further examined, well, that tip of the knife was found. It was stuck inside Uncle Nick's skull. That's sad, man. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't make fun of the ant, but it's sad. (laughs) Like No, it is. Maybe too many second chances. Yeah, but yeah. still. Yeah. I mean, they kind of had it coming. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they were old. They were asking for it. They were 80. So, I mean, they were about to die life. anyways, man. I mean, it was the 70s too, right? I mean, you're talking like 15 years past the life expectancy. Oh, yeah. They were. The same detective Maybe walks in there. Thank George. Yeah. For They didn't end up in the point where they were in a home shitting themselves. Right. I'm telling you, same detective that saw Beverly walks in there and is like, they were 80 natural causes. <laughs> Goddamn tomahawk fell from the sky again. Somebody better call the National Weather Service. It's ran tomahawks. <laughs> in custody, a delirious George confessed on a videotaped recording. So this motherfucker confessed on videotape, right? right. It's because of his state of mind at the time. Could not be used in court. Mm. The trial was another bench trial, just like the first. That is, no jury. Again, at George's request. When the judge asked him why, George said, quote, A judge would be more skilled in law than a jury would be. Plus, he can recognize my skills better. It was an interesting trial. It was halted twice, going back and forth, back and forth. That he was competent to stand trial, then he wasn't. Then he finally was again. Then he wasn't. Then he was. Then he wasn't. 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 <laughs> Goddamn tomahawks. George wanted to fire his lawyer multiple times. Is this the same lawyer that called the cops to pick him up and everything? Or is this a new lawyer? Well, he's got, he's, he's still got Siegel. Okay. All right. Yeah, he's still got Siegel. He, was, but he's got lawyers now. He's got, he's got a team. Do you think, uh, was Siegel, like, is that any relation to the the Siegel, <laughs> Bob Siegel. I'm right, thinking of Bob Seeger. No, I'm talking. I'm talking about. Uh, fuck, what's his name? You know the fat dude that knows karate and is in a bunch of bad action movies. Oh, Steven Seagal. We're we talking about Seagal. Steven Seagal again. Yeah, Seagal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. It's it's a slightly different pronunciation. You can't overlook the shocking level of coincidences with the karate. The white man Fitz and the whiny, the whiny little walking weapon statements. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying, I'm not saying Steve Seagal is a bad guy. I'm just saying he reminds me a lot of this guy that keeps killing people. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And sorry, Seagal, you're not above the law. Um, <laughs> so he wanted to fire his lawyers multiple times. Feeling it wasn't being represented how he wanted. Because George, he kept declaring that he was sane. Meanwhile, his lawyers were like, nah, bitch, you crazy. And now, his lawyers, while being held in jail, 
But George wrote, F. Lee Bailey, the lawyer that would later help O.J. Simpson in his murder trial. Dear Lee, send me a pack of palm oils. George. At first, Lee laughed it off until Siegel, Stephen Siegel, called him and brought him in on board with the $50,000 retainer. George really wanted Lee, and Lee really wanted the insanity case. But George didn't want the insanity case. Lee even played as a fucking last-ditch effort. He played the confession tape as court evidence. His own lawyer. Hmm. And the reason why is because in the confession tapes, George was fucking crazy. You know how common it is, even if it would help him out for... People suffering with some mental illness and that are doing shit like this, where they're just like, I'm fucking fine. There's nothing wrong with me. You're all crazy. You're about to get tomahawked. <laughs> Goddamn natural causes. <laughs> <laughs> so, even with the tape uh, confession and court as evidence, just to show Judge Earl Keem, Keem how crazy George was. On December 19, 1976, after hearing the final arguments from both sides, George taking the stand, as George even took the stand. That's how wow. fucking much yeah. his lawyers wanted to prove yeah, how crazy up, he was. Go up there and prove uh, how you sane never you are, George. And you're on a murder trial. Yeah, okay, I'll take the... <laughs> I'm totally sane! <laughs> <laughs> Judge Kime, well, he came to a ruling. Judge Kime said to George, quote... Now, George, I have all the evidence before me, and I could justify finding you guilty. Meaning, you'd be in prison for the rest of your life. I'm going to ask your preference, George, because it is the rest of your life. You're never going to walk around again, except inside the walls. I'm sensitive to that, George, and I'd like to know your wishes. George replied, quote, You know, Judge, the movies are better in prison. Hmm. Fine. Then I find you guilty and sentence you to life. Yes. (laughs) Unquote. Part of that. (laughs) (laughs) Reading me this, I came across something from Siegel. One of George's lawyer. Siegel recounts an event with the judge saying, quote, The judge called me into his office. He said, Herb, I should find him not guilty by reason of insanity, but I'm not going to do it. Judge Keem never was really going to give George a choice in his life stay. I mean, obviously, not that it matters. He's a piece of shit. A tormented piece of shit. Troubled in the head. Yeah. You still, know, but still, do less and do do less amphetamines, have less problems. Yeah, <laughs> he should never have been released from the hospital to begin with. You know, maybe get some more treatment, whatever. But still, uh, you know, you know, you're a fucking judge. You you have one thing going for you, and that's integrity. And you just fucked it right there. That's you my fucked it up. Yeah, <laughs> you fucked it. Yeah, up. that judge is lucky. <laughs> They didn't declare, like, a mistrial because of that. And then they would have, but fucking goddamn Tomatox started coming <laughs> in from the sky. So there you have it, Zach. 
Another story where the subject was caught, then released, only to fucking kill again. I will say this time, though, no fault of the police. Yeah, no, no, They no. did what they had they to do. Did. They acted it quick. Was the judge. They worked together across yeah. state lines. Yeah. Yeah. So it's good. Yeah, this, at this time, it was the other side <laughs> of the law that failed. Yep, yep. And, and also, the final catch was the last time, so that's good, you know. They, the last time they caught him was the last time that they had to catch him. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good job, everybody. Well. So George spent what? the remainder of his years in the State Correctional Institute in Dallas, Pennsylvania. A challenging, troublesome time that led to agonizing, painful death from cancer. In 1999, at 62 years of age, Delirious George was dead. Thanks for joining us for Requiem for a Murder. <laughs> if you like this show, go rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to rate podcasts. Okay, you don't have to, but you'll fucking write something in it. Like, mm, I love it when Zach and Ryan do scissor kicks. Oh, I wish they could scissor me. Or whatever. You know, scissor kicks, bro. Like, we get in yeah. the air. Oh, and yeah. We fucking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we're. Yeah. Uh, you know, like those, uh, those karate movies where they're flying through the air and they're like hitting each other in the air and they're defying gravity that's what you and i do when we scissor kick each other <laughs> if you want to support us even further i think we deserve your hard earned cold hard cash hard earned cold 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 cash you can do so at patreon.com record for a mutter there are many options there it's your money your choice we plan on doing exclusive bonus content for our patreon members so if you like us oiled up Lathered, dressed as the Egyptian bunny rabbit, all the while getting teeth in your ears and being a our fan patron is just for you. And if it's not, then fuck you, you ungrateful fuckers. I was <laughs> just kidding. The super rad part of becoming part of our patron cult, we'll give you a shout out on the show, which is pretty cool, I think. Especially when if we're talking about rape and murder. Associated with the shit. Uh, yeah, fucking do. You can do an <laughs> alias. I'm sorry. If you want, if you if you do want to, that's up to you. Yeah. Do it. Um, but at the at the minimum, fucking rate us. Yeah. Give yeah. us uh four stars. Yeah. Give us a five star, right? And say hey, fucking sucked, but still give us five stars. <laughs> but if you don't like it, just move on. Go somewhere else. Or you better write on that comment why you don't like it. I don't want a anonymous one star. Man up. Tell me you hate me. Yeah, but just don't. Yeah, but just don't. Just don't be a one star. Just move <laughs> on. Um, I think it's important if you're seeing things hallucinating or having thoughts of murdering your family or friends, go talk to someone. Talk it out. Get some help. Because we shouldn't be murdering each other, Zach. No, we should be loving each other, respecting each other, scissoring each other. Because we got one planet, Zach, and we gotta live on this bitch together. Until fucking Musk gets us to Mars. Which doesn't seem sustainable, because there's fucking, it's a red fucking plant with no oxygen and it's fucking away from everything. But whatever. I digress. <laughs> <laughs> Again, thanks for joining us. Until next time. I am a walking weapon. Goddamn tomahawks.